With the information world long since moved online, today's librarians may worry more about broadband than bookshelves. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. The shift to digital in our nation's libraries means close attention to private internet service providers as well as public regulators from groups like the American Libraries Association. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, joins me every Friday with the leading stories across the publishing world. Today he has the download on why the ALA has called out the FCC for potentially threatening Internet access to underserved communities. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Well, we have been talking a lot about the ramifications of the new Trump administration on media, publishing, and much more on this show. And and again this week, uh, we just can't get away from the subject. We will get to the FCC in just a moment. But first, the Association of Writers and Writing Programs annual conference is underway. And as fate would have it, AWP is in Washington, D.C. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. You know, AWP has become a very, very popular meeting over the last few years. Uh, we send a lot of our reporters to cover it for PW, and this year is no exception. Our, our Claire Kirk, for example, is there right now. Uh, and I saw pictures of her having breakfast with her home senator, Al Franken of Minnesota, this morning. So I know she's roaring and ready to go there in Washington. And not surprisingly, because the meeting is in Washington and because we are talking about a gathering of writers here, AWP promises to be a very very politically charged meeting. And you can read all about the first days of the conference on the PW website. And I'll just note that today, hundreds of writers are taking a field trip to Capitol Hill, an effort that was organized via a Facebook group called Writers Resist Trump. Now, that movement is not affiliated with AWP, uh, but you can bet that many AWP members, many AWP attendees are going to join with that visit to protest Donald Trump's agenda, whether that's cutting support for the arts via the NEH and the NEA, which we've talked about on this program, or whether it's just Trump's reliance on falsehoods and his attacks on the press and the courts. Uh, and on Saturday night, uh, that's February 11th, there's actually going to be a, a candlelight vigil for free speech at Lafayette Park, which is right across the street from the White House. And New Numerous publications are co-sponsoring that event, and many writers who are attending AWP are scheduled to speak. But I'll note this. Uh, they're going to have to do so without a stage or without a big sound system because the National Park Service failed to approve the permits for that. Now, the group does have a permit to actually gather in the park, just not permission to set up a stage. And on the Vigil's Facebook page, they explain why. Organizers said the Park Service was, for some reason, out sick for over a week and never looked at their request. Uh, and yes, this is the same park service that was asked to provide visual proof that Donald Trump's inauguration was the biggest ever. So free speech? Nah, not so much. Supporting these aggrandizing claims about the size of Donald Trump's inauguration crowd? Well, that gets priority status. But I thought that was a very interesting twist of fate there. Well, indeed. And you know, free speech is clearly an important issue these days. And it was an issue for you and the group you were joining last week in Paris. You met there with a variety of international publishing trade reporters. And, and this week, there was an update on the situation in Turkey. Uh, tell us about that. 
Yeah, that's right. You know, as our listeners will recall, last year at the Frankfurt Book Fair, one of the big stories to come out of that fair was this massive crackdown on journalists, academics, and authors by Erdogan in Turkey after a failed coup attempt there. Well, in late January, a 23-member Penn International delegation actually traveled to Istanbul to investigate the crackdown, and they met with writers, journalists, publishers. They visited newspapers whose staff had been decimated by arrests, and they recorded these heart-wrenching testimonies. And they also attempted to stage a peaceful demonstration of support in front of a prison there, but they were prevented from doing so by military police. You know, according to the letter from Penn, 150 journalists have been arrested and detained since the failed coup. 10,000 of their colleagues have been fired or blacklisted for being critical of the Erdogan regime. 45 publications, 16 TV channels, 23 radio stations, and three press agencies, along with 29 publishing houses, have all been shut down in Turkey. And and Penn reports, most of the prisoners have not even been formally indicted, nor have they been informed of any pending charges. Uh, as the Penn letter notes, uh, and you can read that letter on the PW website, uh, this crackdown comes ahead of a referendum in April in Turkey that would vest Erdogan with broad, massive powers. And of course, jailing dissenters could definitely play a role in how that referendum goes. So two things here that I would just note here, and, and one is a point that I've made before on this show, and I'll make it again. Every time an American president, in fact, Donald Trump, our American president, calls journalists scum, calls us dishonest, accuses the journalists uh, of you know, misreporting or not reporting things like the president just did this week when he shockingly accused the press of not covering terrorist attacks, which is demonstrably a lie. This behavior only emboldens tyrants like Erdogan in Turkey. Uh, and while writers in America are demonstrating for free speech uh, across the street from the White House, I'd remind people uh, not to dismiss these things and to take note of what's happening not only in places like Turkey, but right here at home. Well, we will get to that in just a moment. Coming next, why the American Libraries Association has criticized FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, right after this from PW Radio. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. Back now with Andrew Albanese at Publishers Weekly. And Andrew, the American Library Association had some tough words this week for new FCC Administrator Ajit Pai after recent actions he took there regarding Internet policy. Yeah, that's right. And, and the issue that ALA raised this week is an issue that many, many other agencies are actually grappling with now. And that is that the Trump administration seems to be removing information from government websites for political purposes. So, you know, there's actually a couple of things that are involved with the, the ALA statement. So first off, the ALA criticized uh, a move by Ajit Pai to revoke the FCC's 2016 lifeline modernization order, which librarians at the time uh, when it was passed and earlier this year, 
year, or excuse me, earlier in 2016, had called a critical milestone in helping to bring opportunity to underserved communities. And specifically, what that order did was it expanded a Reagan-era program, which since 1985 has provided a discount on phone service for qualifying low-income consumers to include broadband service. So for those who qualify, they can now get a credit to defray the cost of home internet access. And let's face it, without internet access, you're cut off these days, right? And we're not just talking about Facebook, we're talking about banking, customer service, uh, buying things online, job applications. So many job applications have to be completed online now. So there's all these vital things that have now moved online. So that order in 2016, it made sense, right? We moved the Lifeline program from covering things like landlines to covering costs like the internet. Well, apparently that doesn't rate so highly in Mr. Pai's view. But what really set off the ALA is that Pai also ordered the retraction of multiple FCC reports including uh, two reports recently released called the one, the E-Rate Modernization Progress Report, and I'll tell you why that's important in a moment, and another on improving the nation's digital infrastructure. Now, the E-Rate Report is significant because more than 90% of U.S. libraries have used E-Rate, and uh, the program supports internet service in libraries and schools. And in 2014, it was a huge win for ALA when then-FCC head Tom Wheeler poured an additional $1.5 billion into the E-rate program, specifically to wire schools and libraries with better broadband. That was a, a huge win for libraries and for schools. I can't overstate that enough. It was a big deal. And in the rescinded FCC 2017 progress report, that's the report that Pi just ordered retracted, dated January 17th. FCC officials said that the E-rate increases, that extra $1.5 billion, has had a rapid and widespread impact with nearly 50,000 schools and libraries receiving Wi-Fi support in 2015 compared to zero support for the previous two funding years. Uh, E-rate, I should note, is not taxpayer funds, uh, not appropriated, at least by Congress. Uh, this is These are largely funds that are collected from small fees on consumer phone bills. Uh, the average consumer pays less than $2 a year. So it's unclear why the FCC decided to retract these reports, especially the retraction of the E-rate progress report, which had some really good news in it, or any other reports, which also might be you know important for the future. But certainly librarians and educators are paying attention to what's going to happen next. And Scott information and wiping it from from uh, government agencies and not allowing government agencies to use this information, well, that's an alarming prospect, uh, not just for librarians, but for all of us. And I'll read you a little bit from the statement that ALA said, uh, while, while new FCC leadership may have new policy directions, uh, this is from ALA President Julie Chidaro, the public record should not be permanently altered. She added that ALA was dismayed by these actions and that full and public debate with the accompanying historical record preserved on foundational internet issues that affect every person in this country should be the standard we expect and demand. I couldn't agree more, and I'll be writing more on this in the coming weeks in my column in PW. And I think uh, you know this is something we're going to have to pay attention to. I seem to be saying this a lot these days on this show, but uh, vigilance and engagement, I think, are required here. Well, indeed. And one place the information will keep flowing is right here on CCC's Beyond the Book, where... Andrew Albanese from Publishers Weekly joins us every Friday. Thanks for today's report, Andrew. My pleasure, as always. 
Coming next on Beyond the Book, a special presentation recorded at this weekend's PubWest 2017 conference, featuring keynote speaker Aaron McKean, founder of the new not-for-profit wordnick.com, the world's biggest online dictionary. Hi, it's Kent Watson, Executive Director of PubWest. We're excited to have Aaron McKean talking about Beyond Words, Dictionaries on the Cutting Edge. The first English dictionary was published in 1604, and dictionaries have been in the vanguard of publishing ever since. What can the history and present state of reference publishing tell us about the future of publishing? Find out next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, with subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Kinney. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.